Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels and joining me today is liver cancer survivor, liver transplant recipient and marathon runner, Phil Shin. Phil opens up about his battle with liver cancer that eventually led to him having a transplant, the mental and physical challenges that came with those moments, and how he's benefited from life-saving surgery. He also tells me how his training's been going ahead of running a 50km race and the 2022 Boston Marathon. If you'd like to donate to Phil's Boston Marathon fundraiser for the American Liver Foundation, the link is in the show notes and I'm sure Phil would appreciate any donations. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to say another huge thank you to Neon Cricket, who very kindly sponsored me once again for the 2022 season, and have given me a code to share with you all that's slightly different to the one you may have heard before. If you use the code TTOSPORT you'll receive a 20% discount on their entire range. That's T-T-O-S-P-O-R-T for 20% off everything at neoncricket.co.uk and the website and the code are in the show notes in case you want to go straight from there to the website. I've been using their kit and it's genuinely the best I've ever used. So if you play cricket, why not grab yourself a saving of 20% ready for the new season? If there's a friend, family member, teammate, opposition player, a player you coach, or anyone else you'd like to share the code with, then please feel free to do so. Thank you once again to Neon Cricket, and let's get back to the podcast. Series 2 is here. It's been a little while since uh, the last episode of Series 1. That was in November of the end of November of 2021. We're now in February 2022 at the time of recording and series two is it's basically the same as series one really similar to the last couple of episodes anyway uh the only difference being that there's been a bit of time between the two if you're wondering why there's been a bit of time there's a video on the instagram highlights at transplants take on sport pod but basically i picked up a collection of colds over the festive period and over winter um and December, January, Christmas, New Year. It's, it can be quite difficult to book guests because everyone's busy. I get busier and every everything's going on at that time of year. But we're back, ready to go, hopefully with you every two weeks. And the first guest of Series 2 is here with me now, Phil Shin. Welcome to Transplants Take On Sport. 
Hi, Louis. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's 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 a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm super excited to, to get to to know you and your audience. Uh, did a little bit of research, and I believe I'm probably the first American. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, yeah, but but I, I I must I guess defend myself a bit. I actually <laughs> did <laughs> I did live in the UK for three years uh, back in uh, the early 2000s, and in fact, you know, my son, my only son, was born in the UK as well. So I feel like nice. I I do have some uh, uh, some uh, alignment, you know, with our uh, you know uh, special neighbors uh, across the pond. So so I, I do feel like I'm a bit back at home uh, uh, having this opportunity to chat with you <laughs> hopefully not the no hopefully not the last american to come on i'm hoping to be a few to be more as as uh, the episodes go on definitely definitely yeah so it's an honor to be here so thank you no worries you are a liver transplant recipient and you've you've been through quite a lot over the years which we're going to come on to later i'm sure i'll have said something in the intro about it but before we talk about your liver transplant you've got a couple of exciting events coming up do you want to tell us a bit more about that and how your prep is going, how your preparation is going for those? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be a pretty busy year. Um, I uh, I qualified for the Boston Marathon just this past October, and typically the Boston Marathon is run every spring in April, but because of COVID, they delayed it to uh, October. And now things are kind of you know getting somewhat back to normal. They decided to have the 2022 Boston Marathon back in its normal scheduled time, which is in the spring, which unfortunately means that I only have six months to train between <laughs> the uh, 2021 Boston Marathon in October to the 2022 Boston Marathon in April. And then on top of that, um, that my coach and I would just add a little bit of challenge by dropping a 50K uh, ultra trail run uh, in the uh, about six weeks before the Boston Marathon. So, yeah, yeah. So didn't really think to, didn't really take, didn't really think at all, I guess, about the scheduling uh, components to this. But uh, there it is, you know, it, it, it's just running. Hopefully, you know, things will sort itself out. And I, I imagine I'll, I'll be quite fit for the Boston Marathon. It's really just about how much, you know, how much legs I have left by the time I get to the start line for that race. <laughs> It'll seem like a walk in the park after you did a 50K. I would hope so. But again, I think it just kind of depends on how the day goes uh, when I do that 50K. So, uh, but yeah, uh, stay tuned and I'll, 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 I'll let you, you'll be one of the first to know as soon as I cross that finish line in Boston in April. <laughs> how, how is your training going for it? And if you had to adapt in any way because of your liver transplant? Uh, surprisingly, no, I've not had any, um, uh, I've not had to do anything, I guess, alternative, uh, because of my, uh, uh, post-transplant life. Uh, obviously the big difference for me is the, uh, immunosuppressants that I'm on. So I'm on quite a number of pills, but I'm typically taking those pills during the, uh, during the day and, uh, into the, uh, early evening. So, by the time I wake up in the morning, which is normally when I run, uh, the evening meds would have worn off. So and because I'm just going off for a run by myself, I, I feel yeah. quite safe. So it's not like I'm going to be exposed to, even in the middle of a pandemic, when I'm running out at half five in the morning, I, usually there's nobody outside. So I, I can feel pretty safe about not uh, catching anything or uh, being exposed to uh, any germs or bacteria. So, um, so because of that, uh, you know, I 
I also don't have to bother with the side effects that come with uh, the immunosuppressants that I'm on. So I'm actually able to feel quite normal and, you know, run to my full capability, which, you know, it's not that fast, but still being able to to go for a run and, uh, uh, you know, perform a workout without having to feel the, you know, just the side effects and, you know, the dizziness and the fatigue from the immunosuppressants is quite helpful. So we're about a couple of months away now from the Boston Marathon. How are you starting to build up the distance of your runners now? How close do you get to doing a full marathon before the event? Yeah, uh, typically the most you would want to run is about 22 miles uh, as your longest run. But I don't really look at it by individual runs. I actually look at it, uh, the aggregate total mileage during the week. And my coach will typically get me up to about 65 to 70 miles a week. So, and uh, that's what we did for the 2021 Boston Marathon. So I imagine we'll do the same for uh, this next buildup. But again, because of the close proximity between the two marathons, um, I've already uh, built up uh, a level of fitness where we probably don't need to uh, build up the mileage as high as we did yeah. before. So it's really just kind of carrying over that fitness that I've attained uh, from uh, this past October and just leveraging it for, you know, pretty much the same workouts that I've done. Because I did pretty well at the uh, 2021 Boston Marathon and I don't have any big aspirations to run it much faster than that maybe a little bit but not not a whole lot where you have to drastically change our entire training plan so how quickly did you do it i did it in three hours and 23 minutes nice. so i was only nice. about three minutes off my uh intended uh finishing time but that's what 2022 is for <laughs> we'll, we'll have another whack at it and see see how it goes as well as training i'm sure a lot of people listening who may be interested in running a marathon themselves or are into running would want to know alongside training how what do you eat during training and then on the day of the marathon to get you through it yeah yeah and as as a transplant patient uh obviously i would definitely suggest that you talk about your nutritional advice directly with your with your medical team so i i i was make i was making sure that i would run you know uh I would have conversations with my nutritionist as well as my uh, transplant doctor about what I can and can't eat. And uh, because of the immunosuppressants I'm on, it's actually elevated certain areas of my blood, uh, particularly like my, my potassium levels are quite yeah. high, right? And usually when you think about running, right? Oh, I need to go have a banana or something. Right? Yeah. Well, I actually can't eat a banana, right? So because it'll elevate my uh, my potassium levels. So, but there are a number of options in terms of nutrition for running that you know it actually has nothing to even bother with uh, with the transplant um, uh, life. So obviously you want to have you know your proteins. You want to limit your fat intake, but you know you don't want to eliminate the fat because you can actually use your fat for energy stores. So uh, having a bit of fat in your diet is actually quite good. So, um, you know, and then during a workout, during a run, you want to, uh, you want to take in sugars for that little boost of energy that you might need. And obviously your electrolytes and your water. So not a whole lot different as a transplant recipient versus just someone who's trying to, you know, run a marathon or a half marathon. It's actually quite the same, but as a transplant recipient on immunosuppression, uh, I need to be very mindful of what I do eat just because I don't want it to conflict with the uh, medication that I'm on. Of course, it's always always best to to work that out and have a chat with your doctor beforehand. They'll 
they'll know you best. You may even see a dietitian or nutritionist I know, yeah. over, over here with the dietitians at all the hospitals. Yeah. Or a lot yeah, of yeah, hospitals, yeah. should I say. I don't, want to, I don't want to group them all together. Right, right. In fact, I think the first person I met post-transplant was my nutritionist because they, I mean, I have pages and pages of um, uh, recommendations of what I can and cannot eat. And it's, uh, it's quite a lot. So, um, yeah. So, but it, it you know, I'm, I'm two years, just over two years post-transplant now. So I'm quite used to it now. So you had yours at a very similar time to me. We're not, oh, yeah, we're, yeah. we're not far up. We're only a, a couple of months off each other different transplants yeah, yeah. similar sort of time right 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 so um yeah yeah so we'll have the same uh transplant birthdays i suppose yeah <laughs> they're very very close yeah now they, there's a, a largely a uk audience with this podcast there's definitely some in the us and from other places around the world now i'm more familiar with the london marathon and i've, I've never done it uh but the qualification from the other people i've spoken to is done through a ballot how do you mm. qualify for the boston marathon uh, for the Boston Marathon, uh, it's just two ways. Honestly, it's uh, you can you can qualify for it, which is the primary way. But then they also set aside. So it's the field is about thirty thousand runners, uh, and uh, I would say just over twenty thousand is for those who qualified by time, right? So, and I, I believe in the UK they call it uh, good for age, right? So that that type of qualification. So. For based on your age and your gender, uh, they will. There's a certain qualifying time that you must meet, right? And then uh, the, another way is by going in through charity. And um, I actually did run uh, London in 2019 uh, for charity. So uh, I had the pleasure of running the Boston Marathon. I'm sorry, the London Marathon with uh, uh, a UK charity uh, called Tommy's, and they actually support. Um, uh, families uh, who have uh, experienced um, the the pain uh, and, and uh, stress of uh, preterm births and miscarriages. So, and that was uh, quite a meaningful uh, charity for my family because our son, who was born in the UK, was actually born as a uh, uh, he was born prematurely. Uh, in fact, he was born at 25 weeks, which was wow. just over three months uh, premature. So, uh, so to be able to uh, run for that charity that was so meaningful, and to run the London Marathon for that, it was it was just a spectacular opportunity and uh, an experience that uh, me and my family will never uh, forget. In fact, I still I'm quite good friends with a number of folks yeah, from that Tommy's uh, charity team from the London Marathon. So, just an extraordinary uh, extraordinary event for us. What a great cause to do it for as well. Mm, yeah, certainly. Now, the London Marathon, Boston Marathon, as far as I'm aware, they're both road-based. The 50K that you're doing in March, I know there's mm. some of those that are up hills and mountains. Is that What sort of terrain is that on? Uh, that is on trail. So it's primarily dirt and uh, the area that the race is, that typically this time of year, it's actually quite wet. So we expect it to be quite muddy. So it... It'll very much feel like a UK-based <laughs> trail race. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm quite excited about that. <laughs> Do you have certain time, a certain time you like to aim for in that one? Um, no, no. I, I, I think I'm gonna have to be somewhat responsible, just because I do have a time goal in mind for the. Um, uh, for the uh, Boston Marathon, yeah. So I want to make sure I don't go out too hard, right? I want I want to make sure I don't, um, you know, 
particularly injure myself, right? But at the same time, I do want to give it a, a good go, right? Definitely. So just to see what I'm capable of doing. So, so yeah, so that's what the plan is. And uh, we'll just kind of see how it goes. Because if it turns out that it's getting out to be a little bit too strenuous, a little bit too difficult, then I'll just pull back, right? If I have to walk, I'll walk, right? So there's no, you know, there, there isn't, you know, a limitation in terms of when you can finish. But if yeah. I could finish, let's say anywhere uh, within six hours, I'll be quite happy. Man- man- managing yourself, getting through it, because you, you know you've got that other race coming up. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, going right back to to the start, before your transplant, before before your liver, your liver failure, liver diagnosis, when did your love for running begin? Ooh, uh, well, it definitely... It definitely didn't start out as a love for it. <laughs> so um, it started way back in uh, uh, two, the year 2000. So uh, that year I was turning 30. Uh, I just probably gave up my age. So uh, I'm not a young one like yourself. But um, so in 2000, I was turning 30. And that particular year, I wanted to do something significant with my life, right? So, and, you know, I, I wasn't a very smart person. So I just... Just happened to be uh, flipping through the newspaper, and I saw that uh, the Los Angeles Marathon was happening that weekend, right? Well, I looked at, I, I, I found out on on the Tuesday, right? So on the Wednesday, <laughs> on the Wednesday, I signed up for the marathon. Yeah, so I had never experienced, I had never run. Uh, I had only played sport up until that point, and the only sport I really played was baseball, right? So not a whole lot of running involved in baseball, so. Uh, but I thought, okay, well, marathon, I'm turning 30. That'd be a pretty nice thing to, you know, to kind of like put a stamp on being 30, right? So didn't know what I was doing, but certainly I just went ahead and I uh, signed up for it. I turned up on the day, that particular day. Uh, you probably know that it doesn't rain very much here in Los Angeles, but that particular day, we got just over three inches of rain. So it was That's one of the wettest. Yeah, it was one of the wettest marathons on record. So. So I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I wasn't wearing any, I wasn't wearing a particular running shirt. I was just wearing a cotton t-shirt. I was wearing, you know, some, some cross trainers and, you know, just there's a rule when it comes to like marathon running. They say, don't do anything new as, you know, as you train and build up to them. I said, just don't, don't introduce anything new. Right. Well, the problem was because I hadn't done any training. Everything for me was new that day. So I had no idea what I was doing, but. Yeah, you know, sure enough, the start the start gun went off. We went, and you know, there's another saying when you know, marathon running that you know, there's this concept of the wall, right? That yeah. that one point in the marathon where you just just depleted all of your energy, you just don't have the will to live anymore. And usually that happens around mile twenty. Well, for myself, it happened around mile four. It's a big <laughs> so, wall. It's yeah, a thick wall. Yeah, it's a big long wall, and it was just wall after wall for the next. 22 miles so um yeah so that that certainly made it a very interesting day but still managed to finish in six hours which looking back on it it's actually pretty impressive with no training i had it yeah with no training yeah so so i <laughs> i definitely was not planning on doing it again i was like okay look i've done it i'm turning 30 and we can move on with my life with you know filled with beer and fried foods and and all that yeah so um so after that i put running fully behind me uh and then this is when we actually moved to the uk yeah and then so i used to work for nestle's and uh nestle they were based in croydon at the time so while living in croydon i had gotten to become friends with a number of other uh 
British uh, um, British folks on my team. So they had invited me to join their lunchtime run. So and I thought it would be I, I really enjoyed their company. I thought sure I, I'd be happy to join you for a run. And it, we just you know lunchtime we just change and we just go for a, a little stroll around Lloyd Park, which is right next to uh, uh, the office. And I actually quite enjoyed it. And I never hated, you know, running. I, I actually quite look for, I, I quite look, I was always looking forward to it every day. So um, before you know it, I was actually, actually like really enjoying it. So three years passed, we come back to the US and then I see, I, I'm flipping through the newspaper again. And again, this time I see that, hey, the London, the LA marathon will be coming back. You know, and this time I thought, okay, if I train for it and I know, you know, I do what I, what I know about running and I put that into my training, then it actually, maybe I can do better than the six hours I did, you know, just five years ago. Right. So this time I trained for it. I did, you know, all the steps that you would need to take, you know, in following a marathon training plan. And I ran that marathon in five hours. So to knock an hour off, I was actually quite very good. Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty chuffed about that. I said, well, and not only that, but I didn't at any point in that race feel like dying, I guess. Right? So <laughs> I finished it. You know, I had a proper quality, you know, finishing photo with my with my hands up in the air. So so at that point, then I said, well, now I feel like I can make this like a part of my life. And then since then, I've actually gone on and, you know, run quite regularly. And I've run, I believe, 24 marathons since, wow. you know, since that, since that really uh, got the first book. marathon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, quite honestly, I, I did get that bug and, you know, uh, to not only see my time consistently improve as, uh, you know, my, my, t- my finishing times to consistent, consistently get lower as my age goes upward. It, it's actually quite, you know, it, it's quite satisfying. You know, it's a great story, great that. achievement. Yeah. Yeah. But then on, on top of that, just being able to meet all the amazing people that I've met, you know, through the running community has just kind of like now fully integrated, you know, that into my, my life. So it's been, it's been wonderful. That story is a perfect example of, if you want to do something, just do it. If you, you saw the marathon and it was in a few days time, you just did it. And, exactly. and, and look what you're doing now. You've run so many since then. Yeah. But I, I definitely wouldn't recommend to anybody to just, Hey, <laughs> turn up, turn up for the marathon on the day without any training. That that's not, something that i would i would i mean yeah I, you know that you hear about people saying what would you tell your younger self i think the first thing i would tell is like if you're going to run a marathon give yourself enough time to actually train for it so <laughs> moving on from running it your your story with liver failure is is quite a, it's, it's a whirlwind it's, i don't like the word roller coaster the term roller coaster but it, it is uh when did you first find out that something was wrong with your liver yeah, so this would have been in 2018. And to be honest, Lewis, I didn't think anything was wrong. So what's unusual is that despite having being diagnosed with liver cancer, I'd never been symptomatic. But um, by then, I, I, I was turning 48 now. And now you kind of reach that age where you need to be pretty, um, you have to be very intentional about, you know, going to, you know, your physician to get, you know, to get examined. And I, I wasn't very good at that, right? I just felt like, okay, look, I'm a, I'm a regular runner. I eat well. I do all the things that I feel like I should be doing, you know, to maintain a healthy lifestyle. So I, I was actually pretty bad at, you know, going in for my annual 
visit with the with the doctor. But this particular year, I actually had to because uh, my son uh, was the one who was born prematurely. Um, he, as a as a result of his uh, uh, unfortunate start in life, he had a, he has an, a hearing impairment, so he requires hearing aids. So um, the hearing aids can get quite expensive, and at the time, the insurance that I had didn't really properly cover enough of you know the cost of his hearing aid so right. we were exploring some other options so unlike the nhs where pretty much everything's covered over here we actually have to have insurance to yeah. pay for you know this five thousand dollar you know uh device you know to help him hear normally so going back to my work i took a look and i found that we actually did have an insurance policy that fully uh subsidized the cost of his hearing aid so we had to switch insurance which means i had to switch doctors so I had to visit that doctor in order to get the insurance. So I, I went to the doctor and I uh, said, okay, look, I, this is the first time I'm meeting you with introduction. And then he asked me about my health history. And then I knew that my family had a history of hepatitis. Okay. So it was passed down from my mother and I knew that I had it. I knew my brother had it, but I was completely fine. I was never symptomatic, but he said, well, let's go ahead and just run some tests on you, right? Specifically for the liver, just to make sure that, you know, things are okay. I said, okay, fine. So went in, had some blood drawn. And this was just uh, about a month after I had run the 2018 LA Marathon. Yeah. So um, again, I was feeling just fine. Uh, and I, I was continuing to run and I was actually trying to start building up my fitness to qualify for the Boston Marathon one day. So a week later after I take the um, uh, the blood test. He calls me back in, and he sees evidence of a tumor <laughs> in my liver. Right, so he sees that the protein levels are quite high. So, if you have any liver cancer listeners, they're, they're probably quite familiar with this. It's called the AFP marker. Right, it's a tumor marker. Normally, that marker it for normal it's like zero to eight. You know, on the point scale, mine was over five thousand. Wow. <laughs> so, so he said this. Looks like it's a tumor, uh, but we don't know if it's cancerous or not. So why don't we go ahead and schedule you in for uh, an ultrasound to actually take a physical look at it, right? So we scheduled the ultrasound, and sure enough, he found they, they discovered you know a mass about the size of uh, a racquetball. Uh, so it's just about just about the size of a tennis ball. Yeah. yeah. So they said this could still be benign. We don't know. So let's go ahead and schedule you in for an MRI to have an even closer look. Yeah. And it, they definitely confirmed that, okay, this is definitely a tumor, but we're not sure yet if it's cancer. So let's go ahead and schedule you in for a CT scan. So by now, a CT scan, that's where you actually have the radiation pumping through yeah. you, right? So, and I, it was a very, very, very uncomfortable test. And this is when I just kind of hit us that, okay, this is probably something quite serious now. Mm. The fact that they're investing so much effort into understanding what this is inside of me. So after that CT scan, they had me come back to the doctor. And this time it wasn't just meeting with the doctor. Now I was meeting with uh, a hepatologist, you know, the liver doctor, as well as a liver surgeon. And this is when they broke the news to me that I had liver cancer and that we needed to remove this cancerous tumor from my liver immediately. How did you deal with that mentally? Knowing that, because I think I can full, I, I didn't have cancer, but I, mine was uh, IgA nephropathy in the kidneys. But that there's that moment where you think, like you said, there's, there's something going on here. Something when all the doctors are there. 
So yeah. how do you deal with that diagnosis mentally? It was very, I mean, I, yeah, it was quite shocking, obviously, but um, I was honestly really confused. I was very, very confused because you always have this picture of what cancer means, right? Cancer means that you're suffering, right? You, yeah. You're, you're needing chemo. You're quite weak. You're not able to do normal things. Well, as a runner, I was still running, right? I was still doing the things that I enjoyed doing, and I was doing them quite well, which I guess is good and bad, right? Was that after you'd been diagnosed? That was after I was, I'd been diagnosed, yeah. So, so they imagined that this tumor had been with me for a while. And, you know, they did say it's quite possible that, you know, because of your health and your fitness through running, it was actually able to manage you know, mm-hmm. the, um, uh, the effects of this cancer. In you. We don't know yet. We, we really don't know, but, but certainly they were quite concerned about, you know, the size of this cancer in me. Um, but to have all this flooded, you know, all this information flooding to me and my wife, you know, from three different doctors, we were just honestly stunned and we didn't know what to do. And honestly, we didn't even have time to react. They they were right then and there were scheduling, you know, us for uh, surgery. Right. Will you be available in three weeks for us to get this removed from you? Um, sure. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll have to have a chat with my uh, with my manager at work. But yeah, it's cancer, so I guess yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. But honestly, I was I was still thinking, okay, how's this going to affect my running? What am I going to be able to do? What am I going to be? Doing? I, I honestly didn't even know how to think about it, right? Because there isn't really. You know, there isn't really a playbook to no. follow right, when it comes to cancer, right? So, so you just kind of had to put your trust into the team. Say, okay, look, this is the best course of action to remove the cancer from you. And this is actually when I asked the. I remember asking the question, okay, if you're going to remove a third of my liver, because they said that that was going to be the surgical approach to remove the cancer you know, from me, I immediately asked, well, what is that going to do to my liver? Like, what am I? what are what are the drawbacks of removing you know a third of my liver and they said oh well you should know that the liver is the only organ that actually regenerates so what we cut out will actually grow back and it'll grow back to full size and it will function normally so again we just kind of took their word for it and we said okay then this is essentially a no-brainer let's just go ahead and get it done yeah so so yeah so three weeks later i I went in for surgery and the surgery went extremely well. Um, they, uh, the surgery itself, it only took, you know, a few hours, less than half a day uh, to, uh, to get that removed from me. And then I was discharged from the hospital three to four days later and um, back at work in a month and then running again. <laughs> so do you think your fitness, your existing level of fitness helped you a lot in dealing with the physical effects of cancer certainly in fact the uh, my my medical team uh mentioned that to me a a number of times because when i came in um i came in with a certain level of fitness because typically someone with liver cancer right usually it's because of poor health right i mean some people are unlucky like like myself where i had hepatitis and that uh, as a result you know i developed cancer from it uh but others typically you develop liver cancer through uh, a liver disease called cirrhosis 
right? And cirrhosis is when you're just doing a lot of damage to your liver, right? It, whether it's from drinking, whether it's from drugs, whether it's from smoking, obesity, that's another common cause for um, uh, for cirrhosis, right? So usually there's, there's a slow trajectory to get to liver cancer, right? Yeah. But in my case, I kind of jumped that cue altogether and went straight to cancer because I had hepatitis, yeah. So um, when I walked into the uh, the liver clinic, right, I looked around, I just saw all these extremely sick people, right? So they were quite frail, they were in wheelchairs, they were on oxygen. I mean, I remember this one lady, she had these two big clear bags just filled with liver medication, right? and Meanwhile, I'm walking in, I had just completed a marathon, you know, I'm in my trainers, you know, I'm in my running jumper. And, you know, I, everybody's just kind of looking at me thinking, well, are you here to pick up your mom or <laughs> what? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm like you, I, you know, I, I have liver disease, I have liver cancer. So, uh, so that was quite a, that was quite a shock. But because of my fitness, to answer your question, Melissa, because of my health and my fitness, I was actually able to recover from that surgery quite quickly and my liver was able to recover very quickly as well um again just because of my general good health so so i honestly to circle back have to thank running for giving me the opportunity to uh overcome you know the the liver cancer at least the first go of it right because i was able to recover from it so quickly and again they did say that had i not been in such good health I could have had a much different outcome uh, where I would look like some of those people, you know, in that waiting room. Yeah. It shows how much sport and exercise fitness really does help in, in other areas of your life that you may not expect it to. If if the worst does happen and you're diagnosed with a a serious illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and then uh, I would say also that um, because of my health and fitness and desire to want to get running again, it accelerated my recovery as well, right? Because typically uh, when a liver disease, liver cancer patient uh, undergoes that same surgery, they're usually in hospital for about a week, but I got out in like three to four days. And again, it was just because of my health that I was able to recover so quickly and get back to, you know, just my normal daily life. So I, uh, and they said that, you know, usually I would have expected to, not returned to work for about two to three months, but I returned to work in a month. So and all of that Great just recovery. due to my general... Yeah, it's, it's all just due to my general good health at the time. Now, you mentioned it in there. Unfortunately, the, the cancer came back again. How long was it before that happened? Um, it was just... <laughs> yeah, the, my cancer returned about five months after that surgery. Yeah. And what's interesting uh, is that after the um, after the uh, the first surgery, uh, a good mate of mine, a running mate of mine, he um, reg- he he bought me a registration for a marathon in October. My surgery was in May, but the marathon was in October, and I don't think he really had any real intention of me running it. And I so I certainly didn't, right? Because I didn't know what I'd be capable of doing, right? But he um, he got it to me just really, I think, more as a, a, a way to motivate me to, to get running again as soon as I can, as long as it was, you know, safe, yeah. right? 
So I, I laughed. I said, okay, you could have gotten me a card. You could have gotten me some flowers, but okay. <laughs> uh, marathon registration, sure. Why not? <laughs> so, um, but I ended up running that marathon in October because I was able to recover so quickly, right? Um, and on top of that, you know, I, I, after all these years of trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon, in that October marathon, just five months yeah. after my first surgery, I managed to qualify for the Boston Marathon without even really trying i wasn't really training for it it just kind of happened so it was just one of those real surreal moments in life where you can't really explain how it happened it just kind of happened and i still can't really explain it even though that was you know over three years ago but you know um yeah yeah, yeah. so but despite having had such uh, such uh, a massive recovery and ability to you know thrive after that first surgery um, I was called back into my liver doctor's office to share the news with me that my cancer had returned. Mentally, is that harder to deal with than the first one? Because obviously you, you can tell how determined you are through through that marathon that you ran five months after your surgery. How how hard does it hit you when you're told it's back? Oh, it, 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 no, it, it was gutting. It was absolutely gutting um, uh, to be able to really... I, I was told consistently by my medical team that I was, I was, you're never free from cancer, but they, the feedback I was getting from my medical team was that I had recovered so beautifully that, you know, this should be behind me, right? But we'll continue to monitor you. But yeah, you should be able to do everything that you want to do and more. But so I, I went in with that mindset, right, that I'm going to be just fine. Everything's going to be great. But to get hit with that news. And I remember, you know, when I, because this was my, when I met to get that news, I had actually not seen the doctor uh, after that marathon. This is my first time seeing the doctor after the marathon. So I actually brought my medal with me <laughs> to just let him know, hey, look what I just did, right? Not only did I run a marathon, but I just qualified for the Boston Marathon. So I started the meeting with, by telling him that, and then he said, oh, that's fantastic. But we need, we actually need to have, a chat right yeah. now a serious chat and then that's when he showed me so to come in with you know the expectation to just you know have you know have a laugh you know a, a, a celebratory moment you know it all just kind of came tumbling down with the news that you know i had a recurrence of my cancer so yeah it, it just imagine you know uh it, 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 yeah it, it's it's just another one of those things i just can't really put into words you know how gutting that you know that moment was for me and my family was there anything that made you more determined and more motivated to overcome it for the second time um yeah i i, I it took me a while and the reason why is because when uh he shared the news with me that my cancer had returned i i'd asked okay what what are our treatment options are we going to have the same surgery as last time to remove this smaller tumor that that developed in my liver and then this is when we got the really difficult news that you know surgery was actually no longer an option for us they said surgery is off the table for you now uh we may need to get you listed for a transplant that that's your only curative option now so um we had no experience with transplant we we had no idea what this was. So he just said, you now need to go to the liver transplant clinic, right? And meet with, the, meet, you know, meet with that team, the one to go through the process of getting me listed, right? And then sit there and wait for a transplant. So there was, before I could even think about 
being motivated to do something, right? It was really just trying to educate ourselves in what this transplant world was because we had no idea, right? So, you know, obviously there are different options, you know, for uh, getting uh, an organ transplant, right? Uh, but, you know, at <clears throat> us going in, all we were familiar with is, okay, we need to wait for somebody to die, right? Yeah. To receive their healthy liver, right? So, um, so th there was just a flood of information. Again, it was just that same, it was like that last, the first uh, um, meeting we had with our medical team where we had the transplant surgeon, or we had the liver surgeon, we had the liver doctor and my doctor. Same thing. Now we had a transplant doctor, we had a transplant coordinator, we had my liver doctor there. So just a flood of information is now coming our way. <clears throat> and I, re I definitely remember them telling me that because of my health and fitness and my age, I would be at the very bottom of the list, right? And they also said that realistically, you'd be looking at a minimum of maybe three years before you could receive a transplant from a deceased donor. So that's a long time. We, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of scare. The transplant conversation is it's quite a scary one. There's a lot of information to take in all at once. It 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 takes a while to get your head around it, doesn't it? it oh, absolutely. It, it, and unlike the previous time when you know I had my first surgery, where we said, "Okay, you know, just tell us what you need, and we'll go." This time, we now needed. To, we we just kind of let them guide us into you know what we needed to do but this time we actually had to figure out you know what our options were right so them telling us that you know to receive a cadaveric uh, uh, liver transplant um, taking three years at then we said okay well then that means I have to live with this cancer in me for three years and you know that that could that could turn into a very bad situation yeah. where you know a, 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 where you know a, a liver transplant I, I could actually find myself getting unlisted or delisted you know from transplant because now i've got cancer elsewhere in my body right so yeah. a, a transplant would no longer benefit me so so this is when we learned about the uh living donor option yeah so this is where we found out that okay we can actually reach out to my family, my friends, and my colleagues to donate a portion of their liver to replace my cancerous liver. So, so that's something that took us a while to get understanding around as well, because how do you even craft an email to say, hey, yeah. this is my situation. Would you mind, you know, blocking some time on your calendar to come to the hospital with me to, to have a portion of your healthy uh, liver removed. Yeah. So, so it, it, it took us probably a good two to three months to really get a handle on what we were dealing with before we finally sent out that first email to everyone we felt would be interested in becoming um, a potential liver donor candidate. Before we come to that, I just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned there, and I listened to another podcast that you did and watched a documentary that you made with the LA Marathon. And you said that you were virtually too healthy to go higher up on the waiting list for a deceased donor. I'd, I'd never come across that before. What What's the reasoning behind that? Uh, the reasoning behind that is because to get listed um, near the top of the, uh, the list, um, it's basically uh, based on points, 
right? So it, it, it's called a meld score. I don't know if they have this in the UK, but here in the U US, and it's part of the UNOS, which is the United Network of Organs. Organ something, I forgot what the S is. Anyway, so, but there's a there's actually a point system. So there there is a formula that determines, you know, based on your health. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Not so much on your age, but basically on the health and condition of your liver. That will calculate a score. So you are assigned a score and that score can go up as high as I believe what as, as high as in the 40s. And if you're in the 40s, that means you are in hospital, you are in intensive care, you are near death, right? Um, when they ran the calculation for me, right, based on the health of my, because despite having cancer in my liver, it was still actually quite a healthy liver. It was still functioning, yeah. but the problem was that there was cancer in it. And because the liver is a vascular organ, the risk is that with blood flowing in and out of it, right? That cancer can spread elsewhere in my mm -hmm. body. It could, yeah. it could spread to my chest. It could spread to my uh, bones. So, so the, the concern was that um, because the concern, I guess, from my side, not so much on my medical team side, is that because I was so healthy and my liver was so healthy, um, we were too low. So uh, the scale is in the, in the upper 40s, mid to upper 40s, I was on the very, I was on the very bottom of that scale. Right. And my score came out to, I believe, 
six. <laughs> so, so six is at the very bottom of the list. And based on what they had shared with us, you're probably looking at three years. Well, living with cancer for three years can mean yeah. so many different things. So we just assume that getting a deceased donor liver was not an option for us because we weren't willing to wait three years uh, uh, with cancer uh, living inside of me. So this is when they um, shared with us the option of having a living organ donor, yeah. right? And then that's when we started going through the thought process of how we would, you know, one, identify who'd be a potential match in terms of like who would be interested and then how we would actually communicate that out to you. Know. So you'd mentioned you'd sent an email out or you eventually drafted an email, sent it out to a few people. Did you get several people coming forward who said they'd be willing to donate a, liver, a part of their liver to you? Yeah. The um, What's interesting uh, about the process here in the U.S. is that um, they actually isolate the recipient from the donor. So we are not allowed to know who has submitted themselves as right. the donor right, and where they are in the process of the evaluation. Okay. So I'm completely isolated. Uh, not only am I isolated, but my liver team, my physician, my coordinator, they're completely isolated as well because they do not want any crossover where that would create a situation of, uh, a, you know, a conflict of interest. Yeah. So, um, the the concern is that you know if let's just say i'm in like declining health right they don't want anybody from my team or my family to try and influence somebody we right. know who's being evaluated into a rush decision right so um so it's by design why we have no idea but i did eventually find out that 16 people had submitted themselves oh, wow. as a candidate yeah 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 so um but it was quite a stressful period uh you know in a, you know in our lives just because we had no idea i mean we, we know now that there was 16 but at the time it, we it could have been nobody right so do the donors or potential donors come forward almost altruistically to say i'd like to donate my liver to someone like with my kidney transplant members of my family came forward and said that to the transplant coordinator at the hospital that i was at that they would like to donate one of their kidneys to me within mm -hmm. the system that you went through is it just people come forward and say i'd like to donate a liver but they're not sure who it would go to no no it, it's, it's for it's you the same, it's the same as you yeah. yeah so how it works is there's an online questionnaire right so we there's an there's an online questionnaire so we would just send the link you know in that email right and then you would just enter my name as the intended recipient, as the named yeah. recipient. Yeah. Ah, okay. And that link is with that link is with the hospital that, you know, I'm, you know, currently listed at uh, for transplants. So so that's how it works. But there's also an option where you can donate altruistically. And I have a couple of friends that I've made, you know, through this process who have donated altruistically, which is just just blows my mind that, you know, someone would do something like yeah. that. But, you know, God God bless them. We more the more people we have like that in this world, uh, the, the the far better it would be. If anyone would like to find out more information on that, I, I believe in the show notes of the last episode of series one with Jade Carr, there's a few links in the show notes that take you to uh, I think it's the NHS altruistic kidney donor uh, information. So if you'd like to check that out, that's in the previous episode show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, and even if you 
even if you're not interested in doing it, yeah, at least educate yourself. That way, if you know somebody who's interested in doing something like this, you can you can share it with them, right? So, so yeah, it it it, it it's just such. I mean, gosh, it, it is it is like one of the most beautiful gestures a human can do, right? To actually give life to someone, yeah, right? definitely, because it, it it it's just something that words cannot quite explain. You know what a beautiful thing it is mm. to do something like that. So. So yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, we we sent out you know the email, and uh, uh, obviously you know my my immediate family uh, they submitted themselves. But you know, in terms of like who you know who uh, was the best candidate, there's a number of um, there's a number of key items that need to be met uh, to qualify. One is obviously the blood type. Yeah. Two would be the uh, the general health of the person, right? You, know, you want to be in good health. That way, we know that, or they know that, you know, you'll be able to survive the surgery because it's a very, very yeah. serious uh, surgery, right? And then three, it's uh, your age. I, I believe here in the U.S., the the requirement is you have to be under the age of sixty. I'm not sure what it is in the U.K., but here it's uh, under the age of sixty. I think it. I, I don't quote me on this. But I think it varies. It's sort of a we were told that there, there, there's a, sort of an, un, an unwritten cutoff point where if somebody's older and healthier, I, th I think they can still do it. But again, don't mm. quote me on that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical expert. Uh, yeah. All the information will be online somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So that that's how it was. But it, I mean, it was just great to know that we had uh, so many people submit themselves. But, you know, it did take us just over six months to get confirmation, you know, of of that donor. So in the meantime, I did the only thing that I could control, which was honestly, you know, my running. Yeah. Um, I was so fortunate to have my help, but, you know, mentally and emotionally, I would say I was struggling quite a bit just because of the unknown and also and while knowing that I still had cancer inside of me. Yeah. So, so that was, that was just an extremely frustrating time, you know, for me and my family. Uh, there were some moments where I was quite, depressed but i i i had running to kind of keep me keep me sane and kind of keep me in the present so there's that honestly i would say running again just like it had done with my physical health it had done so much magic for me uh and my mental health uh during this process uh, of transplant it's a it's a process and a time that no one no one ever wants to go through. But it sounds like you, as hard as it was, you found your ways to get through it mentally, physically. And that day did come where you found a donor, your friend. Do you remember the moment that you found out your friend was going to donate part of the? I did, you? I did, and it's uh, it, it's quite funny. There's a no, there's a number of funny uh, elements to this. Um, uh, his name is Mark. He's a friend of mine for well over 20 years now. And we have a mutual friend uh, who's actually my best friend. Um, we would communicate the three of us via text. So because Mark lives uh, in Portland, Oregon, I'm here in Los Angeles. And uh, our mutual friend, Eric, 
at the time he was in uh, Illinois near Chicago. So uh, geographically, we were very, very far apart, but we were connected by uh, our mobiles and just texting each other. Yeah. So um, and what was great during this process is that, you know, we never really talked about my health situation, right? They're my mates and we just talked about just nonsense, right? The same nonsense that you would have with yeah. your closest mates. And it was, it was, it was, it was just fantastic because it gave me my escape. It gave me that sense of normalcy in my life, right? So uh, I had more than enough people asking about my health situation, but to have, you know, these two really good friends just talk nonsense about film, about whiskey, about, <laughs> about what have you, it's, it, it, it was great. So, um, so one day uh, in August of 2019, and by then this would have been six months after we sent out that email. Yeah. So uh, I, I had no idea that, you know, Mark had submitted, Mark and Eric had submitted themselves. I never asked them, you know, and in those six months, they never let me know that they had submitted themselves. But via this text exchange out of nowhere, right? Because we never talked about my health. Mm. Mark asks, hey, what's the what's the latest with your liver donor situation? And I was a little I was a little surprised. And I said, We never talk about that, but I was happy to respond. I just said, Well, honestly, I nothing. Nobody's told me anything. Uh, we did hear that people are being evaluated, but we don't know who was being evaluated, where they were in the evaluation process. Uh, but and that we have no idea. So Mark responds back to that. He goes, well, that's funny because they told me that they wouldn't let me know that you knew about me until they told you. And I, again, I never talked about the process <laughs> with them. Right. And I just responded back. What are you talking about? <laughs> this makes no sense to me. And Mark responded back and he said, um i'm the donor bitch <laughs> what a story <laughs> best text ever and again this that kind of gives you the context of our relationship right you know we're always having a laugh and of course he would make a reference to you know one of our favorite shows breaking bad you know that's a jesse pinkman line where he's always being big so <laughs> he says i'm the donor bitch and naturally i just started laughing right i, I was just laughing and then a second later it just hit me it's like Oh my God, Mark's going to save my life. Yeah. Mark's my donor. And, and just like a tsunami, it just hit me out of nowhere. And I just started crying. The emotions of it was just, just completely overwhelming. And I dropped the phone and I ran to my wife and told her the news that, you know, Mark was going to be our donor. You know, we started crying and I didn't even realize that I still hadn't responded to Mark's text you know <laughs> him revealing himself as a donor so you know after a few minutes i run back i said oh wait i dropped the phone let me pick it up and there's mark responding um hello <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should talk about this and then i responded i'm sorry we're still crying over here so just just a magical moment that you know we'll we'll just we'll never let. again it just there's just been so many moments in my life that i've been blessed to say that I can't explain how that happened or, you know, I can't put into words, you know, how I felt. And that was definitely one of those moments. So it's a special, special moment between two close friends. And has it, has it brought you even closer? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I'll tell you, there's another little funny story. If you have a moment I'd, I'd like to share. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so Mark, he, um, 
you know, he wasn't the fittest guy. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a guy in his late forties, just like me. Our, our birthdays are actually just a week apart. Yeah. So, um, out of nowhere, he would text me questions about running. Right. And, you know, being fit. And, Cause I was apparently the only runner he really knew. So he would text me saying, Hey, I want some advice on how to get running. And I would respond just saying, what, what are you talking about? You don't run. <laughs> right. Why, why, why do you want to run? He goes, oh, well, you know, I'm at that age now where I probably should start thinking about my health and my fitness. And so I was happy to, I was happy to help him. So I said, well, why don't you just try and go out for a one mile jog and walk if you have to, but you know, just slowly build up. Right. And, you know, see if this is something that you enjoy. So over the next, you know, two to three months, he kept like asking me little questions about, you know, oh, what about my heart rate? What kind of watch should I get? Yeah. So, uh, and I was quite excited for him because, you know, I, all, I, you know, my, my, my best friends are, you know, running, running friends. Right. So to have Mark be a part of that, I, I was, I was really, really pleased for him. Well, it turned out that the, <clears throat> there was a reason why I was doing this. And it's because while he was being evaluated, yeah, his transplant team said, look, you are the ideal candidate. I mean, you you and Phil are the same age, you're the same size, you're the, uh, you are basically a clone of Phil and your liver is just the ideal match. There is one condition we do have if you want to move forward with this, we need you to be in better health. So he was a little bit out of shape at the time. So they said, if you could just drop, you know, 20 to 30 pounds, yeah, then you'll be you'll be the ideal candidate and we have no issues or <clears throat> no concerns at all about you surviving the surgery. Well, again, Mark didn't know any runners, right? He didn't, but he just felt like, okay, running is probably the best way to do this. Yeah. So why don't I just call the one runner I know who also happens to be the man whose life I'm going to be saving. So, so without revealing to me that he was, going to be my donor he was asking me questions about running so he can be prepared to be my donor so so yeah wow. that, that was that was just amazing how this all kind of came full circle again all back to running yeah so just so much to be thankful you know to uh to running in this so so yeah uh, to answer your question you know mark has continued with running and you know we were just about to share the news on, you know, National Donor Day. So in February, it's February 14, which is Valentine's Day. It's also National Donor Day here in the U.S. I don't know if it is in the U.K., but I'm not sure. Yeah, we're going to make an announcement that Mark will be running the Boston Marathon with me. Oh wow! Uh, this April. So what? A, what a moment! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it running has definitely not only saved my life. Uh, it's actually just brought us so close together and what better way to celebrate that than running the Boston Marathon together. Such a special day. Yeah, and we'll be running it uh, for the American Liver Foundation as well. So so the the fine our friends at the American Liver Foundation, they're just they're they are so excited that this is happening because uh, what an opportunity to help raise awareness and hopefully inspire others to you know, that are suffering with liver disease and liver cancer, uh, that, you know, there is life after, you know, transplant and beyond, you know, liver disease. So yeah, we're, we're, we're really chuffed about this. 
is there a place that people can go to donate if they'd like to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I, I can share the link with you. So Mark has actually just stood up his uh, his fundraising page. Perfect. So uh, so I'd be happy to share a link with you that you can put in the show notes if you'd like. That'll be in the show notes if you'd like to don't go and donate to Phil and Mark running the Boston Marathon. Then you can find the link above, below, whatever it is on whatever app you're <laughs> listening to, uh, and you can go donate if you'd like to. I'm sure they'd appreciate it, and so would the American Liver Foundation. Definitely. Thank you for that. Now, has it all been going smoothly since then? I would say yes. Good to I hear. would say yes. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm quite curious to uh, learn what your post-transplant life is as well, because quite honestly, Lewis, I mean, I'm still navigating through the challenges of, you know, my medication. Uh, I'll actually show you my, I mean, this is my medication box right here, right? And You're organized. It, yep. Yep. So, uh I, I've done a pretty good job at navigating my day around it because I know when it's going to be difficult, you know, for me. Um, and again, it's, it's mainly fatigue that, that I have to deal with. But, um, other than that, I, I would say that, um, it, it, things are fairly normal. I still have to be extra cautious around people. I mean, it, it's just so funny, you know, in this pandemic, right? I was telling people at the height of the pandemic, it was, oh, well, you know what, you know what it's like to be a transplant patient now. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's so, been, a, it's been a nightmare really, hasn't it? Yeah. We need to be extra cautious. Yeah. But we, we obviously have to be extra, extra cautious. So, um, but you know, for the most part, I, I I'd always been careful post transplant. Yeah. So I, I wanted to mitigate any risks, you know, to, to make myself ill. So, and I would say that the pandemic probably hasn't really, change that it's just expanded it to yeah. you know other people so uh, i'm taking the same steps but i'm still on a pretty high dose of immunosuppressants at this moment um but i'm still able to do the things that i really enjoy doing i'm still able to be you know uh, a father to my son a husband to my wife and you know uh and continue to run and run quite well so uh, as long as i can tick those three boxes then i'm quite happy and i'm, I'm also able to work but um, <clears throat> the key for me is just having such a supportive uh, um, workplace, uh, my manager and even, you know, our uh, executive directors, they've been so supportive of my journey that, you know, they've given me, you know, every benefit needed for, you know, to continue to work effectively while, you know, taking extra and while being extra safe, you know, with yeah. my health. That's that's exactly what we want to so see that that would be the ideal situation, I think, for everyone in who has to be extra careful at the moment definitely now moving on to sport after transplant we've had a, I, I posted on social media uh this morning actually asking for listener questions so if you'd like to if you'd like the chance to feature on the podcast by answering a question by answering a question asking a question uh you can do so by following transplants take on sport on social media instagram and facebook are at transplants take on sport pod and twitter is at ttos pod i've got one in from oliver who says how long uh, was the recovery period before you were back to your usual self from the transplant? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, the If we're talking usual self pre-transplant, I don't know if I'll ever get back to that. Yeah, <clears throat> um, Everything is pretty much different. But in terms of level of fitness, I was able to start running again, I would say, two months post-transplant. That's pretty good. And again, um, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and again, I, I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, right? Uh, even my, even my own doctors weren't keen on me getting running again because, again, the 
their only experience was with people who've been quite sick prior to their transplant, right? Um, they never really had, you know, uh, a, a marathoner come through the doors, get a transplant, and then glad they just kind of used the same protocol with me. It's like, don't do anything uh, heavy. Don't do any uh, heavy physical activity for three to, you know, three to five months. Limit yourself to just walking. Walking was fine, but I was actually ready to run <laughs> so, a month or so after. So, um, so I would walk probably two to three times a day, anywhere between a half mile to uh, a mile. And then once, you know, as a runner, you know when you're ready to run, yeah. So I would say it was probably about six weeks after that transplant when I, I felt like, okay, I think I could go for a little jog for about, you know, 50 meters. So let's just see how it feels, right? And two weeks after that, I was actually running like two miles. I mean, jogging, right, for two yeah. miles. And from there, I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to, to run again, right? So after my transplant, I actually ran my first half marathon. Um, that would have been four months after my transplant. That's, that's very quick compared to my sports cricket, as a, a lot of listeners will now know if you've listened for a long time. Mm. And I was told six months before going back to sport or anything too strenuous. So you've done that. Yep. I would say that's quite quick. You've done well there. Yeah, yeah, I was quite happy. And I imagine with you just trying to swing a cricket bat with, you know, yeah, um, not ideal. major abdominal surgery, that's not ideal. Yeah. Not in that, yeah, yeah. Not, but it's close, not close after your surgery. Right. Or even just uh, throwing the ball. I imagine that's just, even, even today, uh, you know, almost over two years post-transplant, Throwing a ball still feels odd to me just because, you know, my abdominal muscles are just so, yeah, they're just beaten up from the surgery. Yeah. I'm all good. I'm I'm fine with all of it now, apart from maybe diving onto my right hand side. Um, mm. But yeah, your scar, I've got, mine's about six inches. Is yours bigger? Mine's about five times bigger. Mine's a 30 inch scar. Right. Yeah. That, that so, explains the abdominal pain then. It sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They call it the Mercedes scar. Yeah, so yeah, it, it yeah. I've heard the that. Mercedes logo. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's it, it, it's definitely an interesting looking scar. But you know, we try and wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah. I know you said that your marathon time at the moment is is pretty good with what you're aiming for. Have you managed to reach your pre-cancer marathon times? Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> if you can remember. Just, yeah, just two weeks ago, I, I actually tried to beat my um, my half marathon best time, and I missed it by a minute. Oh. <laughs> I missed it by a minute. But I'll tell you the reason why is because it was actually quite warm that day. I don't think it had anything to do with my transplant. I think it was just yeah. the day itself, right? So had I had a, a similar day to when I had run, because my, my best time is just uh, just a shade above, a few seconds above uh, minute 32. So I was actually trying to break uh, 132 and do sub 132. And I ended up doing just under 133. But had I had the same cool weather that I did when I did that uh, PR, then I feel like I would have had a really good opportunity to do it. But I was just so cooked by the time I got to like mile 10, 11 of that half marathon. I said, all right, it's fine. So I ended up finishing like uh, 145th overall. I finished uh, fourth in my age group. That's, but that's good. I, yeah, Very but good. then I, I I do say that is like, but I did finish first of liver transplant recipients. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always just I always ask, okay, well, anybody who finished ahead of me, how many of you guys had a liver transplant? None. Okay, oh. just checking. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, I mean, your whole story is is one of determination and the, it shows the power of sport, particularly running in your case. You've had bump after bump in your in your journey to getting where you are today. Mm. So many knockbacks and and look at you now, you thriving, you've got the fifty K coming up, Boston Marathon. Mm. Hopefully it all goes well and what a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if it doesn't go well, Liz, I'll, I'll tell you, just the fact that I have the opportunity <laughs> to stand at that start line, yeah. right, post-transplant, because it obviously could have been much different. But, you know, it, this journey post-transplant, whether it's liver, whether it's kidney, whether it's heart or lung, I mean, being able to just have the opportunity to do these things again, right, to make you feel normal again, it, that that's worth the that then that right there is worth the transplant itself definitely you'll just wake up and seize an opportunity that you didn't think you'd be able to seize just a couple of years ago so yeah so much to be grateful for and yeah it i'm looking forward to seeing what other opportunities you know uh is given to us here in the transplant community yes spot on and hopefully there's many more to come in the near future before we come to the end of the podcast, we're getting towards the end now. It's time for the the return that first featured in the last couple of episodes of Series One. It's the return of the Transplants Take on Sport quiz. Oh no! <laughs> I see your menu uh, uh, kits in the in, in the background there, so I'm a little cautious here. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's fine. I'm, I can I, I, I can be objective. Okay. <laughs> um, so to, just to recap the the how the quiz works, the rules, if you like. Uh, each week, I will ask the guest four questions based on a sport of their choosing. I even sent me a message saying that when you were in the UK, you you got into football. You like football, um, and you said uh, to to go easy on you with the questions. So I, I came back to you asking what your team is. Your team is Liverpool. Uh, so all of your questions are based around Liverpool Football Club. Okay. Um, one question is a which is higher. There is one true or false. One what happens next, and one who am I. And the aim is to score as many points as possible, and I'll be keeping score as the podcasts go by. Now the, the bar has been set pretty high at the moment, um, <laughs> but uh, football. Anyone who picks football, they're probably going to be. I've tried to go. I've tried, I can tailor it more. That's that's the spot that I've got the most knowledge in. So it's either could be okay. very challenging or very easy. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. see how it goes. And if for any, this is an audio only podcast to tell <laughs> how, just to gauge the level of excitement in this phil has leaned forward i am i am <laughs> he's ready <laughs> leaning with fear so. <laughs> so question one which is higher yes. now so these these are for anyone coming on in the future these are pretty much purely guesswork with some over the weeks some pretty stupid questions coming in um question one which is higher the total number of points achieved by liverpool in the premier league era or the amount of people who participated in the Guinness World Record attempt for the largest human mattress dominoes topple. Oh, human mattress topple, obviously. The For anyone who's wondering what that is, it's a, it's a strange photo. It's a load of people who've stood up and they've got a, a mattress strapped to their back and they're all in a big spiral. Uh, and the first <laughs> person just throws themselves backwards and they all fall over. And that's the record for that. Well, what was the number? Have you gone with the mattress, human mattress? I've gone with the mattress, yes. So the human mattress dominoes, the mm. world record is 2,019 people. 
Yes. Liverpool's total points in the Premier League, which is accurate as of the date of recording, which is the 1st of February 2022, uh, is 2017. So you're correct. Yes. Very close one there. Yes. Question two. We can stop there, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect score. (laughs) Question two. True or false? Mm. Uh, Here's your statement. Uh, Former Liverpool defender Jamie Carragher has scored more Premier League own goals than goals. <laughs> oh gosh, I love Jamie. I'm, hello, hello, Carol, uh, if you're listening. Yeah, uh, just just out of pure support for him, I'm going to say false. You you should have gone true. Oh uh, no, Jamie oh, Carragher. No. He's, uh, he's scored. He scored three goals in the Premier League. Uh, as a as a defender, and he scored own. seven own goals. Oh dear. Uh, great pundit. Not so great <laughs> at putting the ball in the right net. No, no. Well, yeah. one out of two. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. All right. Question three is a what happens next? And now this is audio only. Uh, it's very difficult to show the clip of what's happened. What might happen next? Um, I will try every time that this is done to post the clip on social media once the podcast's been released, so you can see the clip for yourself. They're often quite funny. Okay. Uh, this one could be challenging as I, the footage is owned by Sky. I don't want to get I don't want to get taken down for copyright. So if you yeah. don't see it, that's why. But uh, you can search on YouTube; it's it's all over that. So, mm-hmm. what happens next? On the fourth of October, nineteen ninety eight, during a game between Liverpool and Chelsea at Anfield, Chelsea's Pierre Luigi Casiraghi receives the ball one on one with Liverpool goalkeeper David James on the edge of the eighteen yard box. He takes the ball around James before having a shot at the open goal. Liverpool defender Phil Babb slides towards his own goal to block the ball. But what happens next? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, he fails to block the shot, but carries on sliding feet first into the advertising boards? Is it B, he blocks the shot, but continues sliding into the goal, getting tangled in the net with each foot going through a separate hole? Or is it C... He fails to block the shot, but continues sliding towards the goal, straddling the post and smashing it, in, smashing into it, testicles first. Oh, good old Phil Bab. Yeah, it sounds. A lot of people like may have seen C, the clip. Yeah, it, it sounds like a C to me. If I'm being honest, you would be correct. Yeah, it's it's yeah. A, every everyone watching it goes. Ooh. As soon as you see it, there's a, a collective groan. It is C, so you're correct. Uh, I'll have to look that up. If anyone if anyone does that now, it's sometimes referred to as doing a bab. Okay. I did not know that. Uh, he actually had to that. come off injured in that game as a couple of vertebrae mm. in his lower back were pushed to one side and he missed six weeks of games. Oh, well, that's, um, that's one way to... That's one way to hide an embarrassment. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a sickening blow. It's oh, horrible. Wow. Uh, you might see that on social media. It may be up there by the time this has been yeah. released. Yeah. Hashtag pulling a bab, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll look it up. Uh, question four is a who am I? So remember all your questions are based behind mm. Liverpool, uh, based around Liverpool. So you've got a free mm. clue there. So how this works is I'll give you four clues to guess the player. And you can, after those four clues, you have a guess. If that guess is incorrect, I can then give you three more clues with a guess in between each one. So you get, yeah. you've get you got four goers to get this. So, who am I? I was born in November 1981. I have played with Cristiano Ronaldo. I've scored in the Champions League final for Liverpool 
and I've won the Champions League with two different clubs. So at the time of recording, he's 40 years old. He's played with Cristiano Ronaldo, scored in the Champions League final for Liverpool and won the Champions League with two different clubs. Who would? Who might you guess? What? What's your thought process? Mm. It's the Ronaldo that that throwing you, throwing me off. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ronaldo, he's played for played for Manchester United, Sporting Lisbon yeah. beforehand, Real Madrid, Juventus, yeah. and now back at Manchester United again, and also Portugal. Right. The only guess I can come up with that somewhat sensible would be Michael Owen. It's not Michael Owen. You get an extra clue for with another guess afterwards. Sure. This player has won two World Cups and the European Championships. No, not two World Cups. He's won one World Cup and two European Championships. Um, that was uh, late. That was late two thousands, early twenty tens. Late two thousand, early twenty tens. So to recap, 40 mm-hmm. years old, played with Cristiano Ronaldo, scored for Liverpool in the Champions League final, won the Champions League with two different clubs and has won one World Cup and two European Championships. Two Euros, you say. What's the thought process? My thought is I'm trying to find a thought. <laughs> <laughs> Did you... So, do, do you remember... I know it's going to... Yeah. Uh, yeah next one. He's a central midfielder. Hmm. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have to pass, Lewis. You're gonna, you're gonna have to make. You've me... got, you've got one more clue. Mm, okay. I might be able to give you a bonus one. I'll give you a bonus one okay. beforehand. Yeah. Um. So the team that you played with Ronaldo at is Real Madrid. At Real. And he's Spanish. And he's Spanish. Does that get you it before your final clue? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm really stuck right now. <laughs> might be a tough one. The fi- final clue. Uh, this player shares a surname with a current Chelsea defender. The current Chelsea defender. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lewis. Stuck. I, my, my head's just not in. Yeah, I'm completely stuck right now. If you, Anyone at home, if you got it before I say the answer, why not get in touch? Let me know. Comment on the Instagram post. The play, yeah, help you, me out. You might, you might kick yourself. I'm not sure. I don't know if I've gone obscure here. Uh, it's Shabby Alonso. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad. Two out of two, fifty percent. Setting the bar in the middle for the start of series two. For the next one, yeah. For the next I'm one, yeah. Sure, they'll be higher, and I'm sure they'll be lower. Yeah. No, 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 no. They they can completely shatter it. So yeah. And one one more question from me before we go. It's yeah. the question that I ask everybody <laughs> at the end of the podcast. Of course. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? Wow, that that's a that's a big question, Lewis. I'll be honest. Um. Uh. I, I would honestly say is when you're facing a transplant and you're, especially if you're waiting for a transplant, the advice that I've given to those that I'm, uh, that I work with in that transplant support group is just find a way to get to the next day. Yeah. Whatever it is that helps you get to that next day. Right. Cause you, when you're waiting for your transplant, Lewis, there is so much negativity that you could lean to. Yeah. Like what if, what if I never get my transplant, right? What if I never, uh, uh, what if uh, a match is never identified? Yeah. Um, you can't control that. And um, as a runner, right. I can only 
recommend uh, that you control what you can control. And that's honestly your own mind and your own hopefulness, right? So whatever it takes to help you get to that next day before you know it, you'll reach the finish, you'll get to your transplant, right? So that is honestly the best way I can keep your focus small, keep your goals small, enough to just get you to the end of the day. Because when you wake up, you're going to get that phone call saying that your transplant has been matched and come on in, we're going to get you, we're, we're going to extend your life. So that's the best advice I can honestly give you. Very well said. And I'm sure people who, who are listening, who are going through that scary time of facing a transplant, I'm sure that will resonate with them and hopefully help them out. Phil, what a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You are, you, you're an inspiration. Your story is remarkable. So determined to get through everything you've done. And I'm sure a lot of people will take a lot of positives from what you've said and they'll be able to help them through their journey. So thank you for coming on. No, absolutely. And thank you, Lewis. Thank you for creating this platform for all of us to show that, you know, there is more than just, you know, uh, a life after transplant. There, There's success and there are, you know, uh, achievements in front of us that you never thought you'd ever be able to achieve even before transplant. So so thank you for uh, for having this platform and uh, community for all of us. Oh, and, thank uh, you. I'm so thank honored you. to be a part of it. My pleasure. Lovely to have you on. Uh, there we go. Phil Shin, my guest today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure you share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with people on the street. Go and shout anywhere about it. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have as many of you listening as possible uh, and we can really grow this community, grow the podcast and spread it to as many people as possible. If you'd like to get in touch, whether that be just to send a message, if you'd like to come on the podcast, please feel free to do so and, and let me know. Or if there's somebody who I should be contacting to to get on and come and have a chat as well, uh, you can do so by emailing transplantstakeonsport at gmail.com or you can get in touch on social media. Uh, they're linked in the show notes, but uh, in case you want to go to them through this, uh, Instagram and Facebook are at transplantstakeonsportpod and Twitter is at ttospod. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, which is the most used app to listen to the podcast on, uh, it would mean a massive amount to me if you could go and rate the podcast five stars on there. And if you leave a review with your five-star rating, uh, all five-star reviews will be read out in this section of the podcast. Uh, the ratings, the rating section has now also come to Spotify. So again, it'd be hugely appreciated if you could go and do give it a five-star rating on there. Um, if you don't think it's five stars, fair enough, perfectly entitled to that. I'd rather you told me so I can I can make any changes that are necessary rather than going and doing it on there because if it is rated higher, more people discover it through the search section. And I know I sometimes mention this. So I don't always like to mention it, uh, but there is the ACAST supporter feature, which is uh, it's a voice at the start, a voiceover. It's not me, it's somebody else. Uh, it's a way of donating to me, the podcast, uh, to help keep it going, help support uh, financially. If you'd like to do that, then please feel free to do so. There's a link in the show notes right at the bottom. If you don't, then no pressure, no worries. Uh, it's all it's all up to you. This isn't my full time job, but I'd like I'd like something like this to be my job in the future. Uh, so anything like that helps to make that a reality. Thank you once again to my guest today, Phil Shin. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplants Take on Sport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 